Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight as we dig into God's Word once again, and we're turning once more to Philippians chapter 1 tonight. Tonight, we're going to wrap up this series, Joy in the Darkness, thinking about how God gives us joy in the dark times. And we've looked at some dark times in Paul's life that he's reflecting on as he's experiencing them in this letter. Tonight, we're going to wrap it up by by thinking about what happens when those times that Paul's experiencing come to us. What happens when we're persecuted for our faith? What happens when we face opposition because of our faith? What do we do then? Well, the first thing we need to do, and it's something we should do all the time anyway, is come before our God in prayer because he's the one that gives us the strength to face these dark times. And so let's go ahead and do that right now, and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Lord, as we, we think about what it means to stand firm in your truth, even in dark times, even in challenging times, even in confusing times, Lord, would you guide us? Would you apply the truth of your word to our hearts that we might have confidence, that we might stand firm in your truth and share that hope that you give us with others? We pray in Jesus' name. What does it mean to to stand firm in something, to have loyalties to something? Well, in a way, I think we've been discussing that over the last few weeks in the lead up to the Olympics. And there's been lots of swirling questions around this thing that's in theory supposed to be not terribly political. And yet, especially with some of the other controversies going on in China right now and the human rights abuses and so on, it, it feels more political. It feels palpable that that there's this angle to it that's in theory, not supposed to be there, and yet is. And one of the ways that's come up is that we've had not one, but two American Olympians decide to renounce their citizenship and become Chinese athletes instead, Eileen Gu and Zhu Yi. And these two women grew up in the United States and had an opportunity to compete on the Chinese Olympic team and chose to renounce their American citizenship in order to do it. And there have been all kinds of different reactions. Some people saying good for them, they're embracing their heritage and, and doing whatever they would like to do. And that's wonderful. And other people saying, well, how can you renounce the country that you grew up in that gave you the opportunities that you're now going to enjoy exploring in the Olympics? And all this controversy really rolls around this question of loyalties and what it looks like to to hold on to one's loyalties to, in this case, a country. In some sense, Paul turns us to a similar question, but at a much more important level, which is where are our, our ultimate loyalties? And, and for some of us, it is indeed essentially to our nation. We, we, we're patriotic and we're holding on to that. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to, to love our countries that, that God places us in and to enjoy the, the blessings that he provides us in those places. But Paul points to something more, something more important, and that's our status in Christ. And we see that as we turn back to Philippians chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. And as we do, he's going to encourage us to think about where are our true loyalties? What citizenship are we going to hold on to? Let's take a look. Paul says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you 
that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul exhorts them here as he's going into this letter to this people whom he deeply loves, saying, make sure that you live worthily of the gospel. And the, the, the phrasing he's using there is the wording that you'd use to talk about living as a worthy citizen of a particular kingdom or country. And so, again, it's sort of like what we've been discussing as a culture over the last few weeks about these athletes, that they've chosen a particular affiliation, and people are questioning, well, should they have been more loyal to their previous affiliation, or should they embrace this other affiliation because it gives them new opportunities? Maybe they're the best in a given sport on that team, etc. How, how does that play out? And what Paul says here is what we're wrestling with at that other level with these athletes. He's saying that you're often going to hold on to, we're going to struggle with holding on to loyalties that maybe we shouldn't. We're going to sometimes even go so far as to really all but renounce our loyalty to the gospel because we end up instead holding on to the things of the world. And he says, here's what's really important because you're going to face persecution. And he knows that the the temptation for any people, not just the Philippians, anyone in the face of persecution is to try to align yourself with those that will protect you or drop an affiliation with those who might bring you harm, just as an athlete might choose to switch citizenships for the sake of having a better athletic opportunity. We often in life are switching affiliations all over the place, trying to affiliate ourselves in a way that will provide us with the best opportunities, the most safety, etc. And Paul says here, what the Philippians need to remember is that their, their ultimate citizenship isn't to Rome. It isn't to some other country. It's to the kingdom of heaven. It's to God. And, and so when they reflect on the gospel, part of the calling in that is to live in accordance to the gospel. That Even the phrase gospel refers to the proclamation of a victorious king. And so they need to live in accordance with that and this would have really resonated with the Philippians because Philippi was a Roman colony. They were proud that they were Roman citizens. And, and so this is something that they already were thinking about on a civic level, thinking about being Roman. Not everyone who lived in the Roman Empire had Roman citizenship. Paul did, and it worked out beneficially for him over time. But many people didn't, including most of the Jews. And so Paul here is invoking something that they would have recognized and been proud of. They're Roman citizens. And we see that, for example, come up in Philippi when Paul was traveling through there prior to this letter in Acts chapter 16. Take a look. When Paul's being accused and, and the people who oppose him are trying to get him cast out, this is what they say. They say, they, that's Paul and his associates, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept practice. So what do they say? that They don't want Paul around, and instead of actually going after the ideas of the gospel, they just say, well, he's advocating for things that aren't worthy of a Roman citizenship. Maybe the, these words that were thrown at Paul years before are running through his head now as he's writing the Philippians, and these are Philippian believers, so they 
they do think that what Paul's advocating for is worthy of a Roman citizen. And yet, he's thinking of these words that they probably heard many times as the, the pride, the civic pride, the patriotic pride of, of being Roman was tossed around and, and reflected on. And he's saying, don't just hold on to what's worthy of being a Roman citizen. Hold on to what's worthy of being a citizen of God's kingdom. And he's challenging us to do the same. And he, he goes on to develop this further later in the book of Philippians. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 20. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. Paul says, this is the citizenship that really matters. And interestingly, God doesn't say, renounce your worldly citizenship. You just need to somehow act as if you're not affiliated with a country or or somehow go and make a Christian country. He doesn't say that. Paul's not advocating for that. But it's a matter of priority. And it's something that challenges us. Am I thinking about how I'm representing the kingdom of heaven when I'm spending time in the kingdoms of this world? When I go around my own country here in the United States, am I thinking about how am I acting as an American or am I thinking how am I acting as a Christian? Because the real calling and my real priority is to make sure the people of this world, the ones who don't yet have heavenly citizenship, are seeing the beauty of this heavenly kingdom. And in some sense, this brings us once again back to the Olympics. If you think about how we cheer for our Olympic athletes, people fret over, we get enough medals in our country or not. Are these athletes achieving things for our country, and we talk about them representing our country. And and part of the picture of the Olympics is sending off the, the best athletes of a given country, sending them off with their patriotic colors on, their, their different uniforms that represent that country, and going into another country and representing that country, showing the wonders of that country, and, and hopefully bringing people to appreciate their home country a little bit more. And so I think that's part of where we've seen this tension with those athletes that have chosen not to be Americans anymore, because we think of these athletes representing us. We put all that stock in it. But every day when you go to work, every day when you walk around your neighborhood, every day you go to the grocery store or to Walmart or to wherever, you're doing the same thing that those athletes are doing when they go into the Olympic Village and when they go into the Olympic Arena. You're going into the arenas of life and representing the kingdom of heaven. I'm going into the kingdoms of life and representing the kingdom of heaven. And so as much stock as we put into those athletes and we want them to make us look good, are we thinking about, am I making the kingdom of heaven look good? How do we actually do this? Well, we do this by first off understanding the calling to do it, and then we do it all the time, not just when we think we're seen. I think we've all known people, and maybe at times we found ourselves in the position where we're more eager to do something when someone's watching or or someone's around, and, and as soon as they walk away, it's not important any longer. And this goes back, it reminds me years ago when, when computers were first able to do even the, the slightest hint of multitasking, a, a lot of games would have what they called boss mode. So you could play the game, and then when you heard your boss coming, you could press a button, it brought up an important-looking spreadsheet or something. The point being, it's only important if I'm doing it when the boss is looking. The rest of the time, I can be playing my game. 
Well, sometimes we live that way as Christians. It's only important when I'm at church or I'm around church people or, or when I'm doing churchy things where God's surely paying better attention. But Paul says here, don't just act worthy of the gospel when I come to see you. When I'm here in prison and the best I can do is hear reports of what you're doing, I want to hear that you're walking worthily for the gospel. Because it's just as important when I'm not there as when I am there. And I think we know that intrinsically with ourselves. It matters to us if people actually do things that matter to us when we're not looking as much as when we are looking. Maybe it even means more. And so Paul says, that's what you need to do. And that's what I need to do. That's how it looks to live as kingdom citizens. And yet in doing that, it's not something we just do on our own and we feel very alone doing it. But if you look here, what he's saying is you were doing it together. And he goes through a list of ways that that actually plays out. Notice what he says if we go back to verse 27. He says that he may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So there's several different pieces here. One is that they're going to be of one spirit. And, and there's been some debate amongst commentators on what Paul has in mind there. Is he talking about them having, you know, the team spirit together? But I, I think perhaps at least a part of what Paul's doing there is actually referring to the one spirit who unites us, the Holy Spirit. The starting point to, to go off and do this stuff is to recognize that what binds us together and enables us to do this isn't a what at all. It isn't some team spirit. It isn't a good motto. It isn't a trendy church shirt as much as I like uh, having t-shirts printed for ministry or, or whatever it might be. What brings us together? It's the Holy Spirit. And Paul uses very similar phrasing in other letters, very explicitly referencing the Holy Spirit. For example, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, he says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, I tend to lean towards here that Paul is also thinking of that one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's going to enable the Philippians to do exactly what they're called to do. At the very least, we can say that's the backdrop, because this is Paul's teaching over and over and over again. How are we united? Because God gives us his one spirit. There's only one spirit that he's going to give. There aren't different grades of spirit. There isn't a spirit for American Christians and a spirit for British Christians and a spirit for South African Christians and, and Australian Christians. No, there's one spirit. He gives all of us. And we see that in the way that Paul describes that in that First Corinthians passage. Note, he, he makes clear reference to the fact that whether you're a Jew or a Greek, free or slave, the different divisions that would have divided people in those days, you still get the same spirit. And because we have one spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us, then we can be of one mind. And that's that picture we see as he talks about striving side by side. It has that picture of working together on something. You're digging the trench together, moving in unison, digging deeper and deeper, accomplishing the work that needs to be done. It won't work well as a kingdom. Maybe as an individual Christian for a while, we can function without having one mind with other believers. 
but not for long. And, and certainly if we're going to accomplish anything truly great for the kingdom of God, if we're going to see people who aren't in the kingdom of God say, wow, that's something I want to be a part of. A huge part of that is that we're actually working together. When we're working against each other, when churches are competing with each other rather than competing with the ideas of the world, what happens? Well, we have a lot of infighting and maybe one church grows and another church contracts. But the world looks in and says, oh, just another different set of groups of people that are competing with one another. But what happens when we work together? What happens when, when we as individual believers see the gospel is what unifies us rather than the different affiliations we like to stick on top of the gospel? Well, the world sees something that it can't find anywhere else, which is unity. It sees people actually working together, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of God's glory and for the benefit of their neighbor. And, and part of this is really a call then to recognize what we should stand on. And if our kingdom citizenship, if belonging to Jesus is what really matters, it becomes so much easier because we look at other believers and they might do things a little differently than, than we do. We might not agree with them on 100% of what they're doing. We might disagree on particular doctrines, even important doctrines. But if we, we look at other people and we say, but yes, this is someone who also possesses kingdom citizenship. We start to, to think, well, if that person over there, that person has the same Holy Spirit I do. Maybe I actually should want to work with them. Maybe I should actually want to know them and show love to them and then with them show love to a world that doesn't yet have the Holy Spirit, that doesn't yet have that kingdom citizenship. It's one of the things I love about the Bible studies we do at Little Hills and Faith Tree that we have people from different denominations, people who have different church experiences, people of different ages, people from different parts of the country even, coming together and studying God's word. And what I love about that is if we were all just sorting out into our own individual churches and, and exact theological boxes, we wouldn't be together. But what unites us? Kingdom citizenship. We look at each other and we say, but here is someone who has kingdom citizenship. Here is someone who belongs to Jesus. And so do we agree on everything? No. Are, are some of those things that we disagree on even important? Yes. What's more important? It's Jesus. And we're all going to get some things wrong. And we approach those disagreements with humility because we actually realize we have a basis to work together and that we're going to have eternity together. And so it matters more that we're working together for the people that don't know Jesus. And that's what Paul is calling the, the Philippians to here. They need to rally around the faith in the gospel. And that's what he points out at the end of verse 27. He says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not for the Philippian gospel. Not for the Pauline gospel. But the gospel, there's only one gospel, and he calls all of them to work together to hold on to it against the opponents. Now, these opponents he refers to, who are they? And this is another place where there's some debate between commentators. Some people have suggested, well, it's the pagan world outside, and, and we may resonate with that. We look at our world, the, the, 
the people who aren't Christian or only culturally Christian, and we say, yeah, there seems to be a whole lot of opposition coming our way. And we look at other parts of the world, like China, and we see even more opposition. We, we, we know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in places like China that are daily jailed for actually holding to the faith of the gospel. And we look at that and say, well, yeah, we can understand opposition, at, at least in an intellectual level for those of us here in the United States. And and maybe some of you listening, you actually understand it at an even greater level because you have faced possible jail time. You have faced really huge consequences for hanging on to the faith. That day may come here. And even today, we do sometimes lose things that we value for standing for our faith, friendships, maybe even a job. Is that what Paul has in mind? I think it's quite possible. I think, though, it might even be more than that. It also may encompass in something that he addresses in chapter 3, false teachers. So people who come into the church trying to pull people away from the true gospel. Because sometimes the the, the tensions that come in are, are people who, who want to divide up the church or or want to say, well, all the, all the believers, yeah, they kind of have kingdom citizenship, but I don't really like them. And so they start to try to rip apart that kingdom citizenship. And some of that is going to be happening, we learn, in Philippi. Those who are saying, well, you need to be a better type of Christian. Now, in some sense, it doesn't really matter which opponent Paul has in mind here, because the principle remains the same in all cases. The call is to hang on to the faith of the gospel, to hang on to what we're being taught here in Paul's letters and in the rest of the scripture, to hang on to the truth that Jesus is king and that anyone who proclaims his name, turns and repents and follows him, receives his salvation. And what happens when we do? Well, those opponents, whether they're people coming in and, and trying to sow false doctrine in the church or they're the outside world, in some sense, when the church hangs on to each other and hangs on because of the power of the Spirit working in us, we show the coming judgment. Because while those opponents are seeking to sow discord and find themselves in discord themselves, the church, even when it's suffering, when, it's, when the body of Christ is actually doing what it's supposed to do, shows a foretaste of a time when true unity will be achieved in God's presence. And so the contrast becomes clear. We're representing that kingdom citizenship in a worthy manner because people see us living as those who actually love each other and love God. And when we're doing that, then we can face suffering and stand firm in it. And that's what we see in our next verses. Paul says in verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul says conflict is coming, and this word conflict that he uses is kind of interesting because it comes from a word that originally was used to talk of a meeting space, and especially an athletic meeting space, a place where you'd go and, for example, have a championship, have a playoffs. And, and so you think about it, in some sense, when we think about life, what is God calling us to do? He's calling us to, to recognize we're in the playoffs. This is serious. And, and as we do, what do we want to do? We want to represent our team well. We want to represent our king well. And sometimes this word is 
used just simply to talk about suffering in, in scripture. And, and that's an, a more than adequate understanding of it because there's going to be suffering as we stand for the gospel. But I think this athletic picture is worth keeping in the back of our mind because we need to represent the kingdom. And we need to be thinking that there are spectators to our suffering. Do we normally think in those terms? Paul's thinking in those terms, and we, we've seen that throughout this chapter, that, for example, Paul talked about how his imprisonment was actually causing people to be bolder for the gospel. And, and that's something that we're called to be thinking about. How can I live in such a way, worthily for the gospel, that when I'm suffering, and people are watching, they're saying, wow, look at this person who is championing God. Now, of course, if we're realistic about it, we realize, well, I'm not championing God. The Holy Spirit's working. But what we need people to do is actually see something that doesn't make sense to them and want, and want to know more. Want to know, why are these people standing firm when it's hard? Why are people standing firm when there's suffering involved? Why are they proclaiming this this man from 2,000 years ago, isn't he just another person in, in the dust of history? We want them to question that so that they realize, no, he's not just some forgotten man that happened to say some important words. He's our champion today. He's our living king today because he's triumphed over death. And when we, we understand that, then we do what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Whatever medals and, and maybe laurels that, that our athletes or other athletes around the world will get in the next few weeks in the Olympics, they'll perish. Someone could steal that gold medal. Any kind of flowers that a champion might be given will, will wilt and die. And so, too, any other prize that we seek after in this life, we, we strive and we run. We talked about this last night as we were going through our Psalms reading. And we look at David talking about people trying to accumulate wealth to pass down to their, their children. And there's nothing wrong with some of the things we seek in the world. There'd be nothing wrong with trying to pass something down to your kids. But ultimately, all that wealth is going to be lost, if not in this generation, in the next, or the next, or the next. Certainly not something that you or I can hold on to. But what does Paul say here? If we strive, if we, we use the self-discipline that God enables us to have through his spirit, and we're focused on striving for the imperishable, and we're helping others to strive for that imperishable too. And as we do that, we don't do it alone. We do it with the body of Christ, and we do it with those who've run before us. We see that in Paul's life, and even more importantly, we see that in Jesus' life. Take a look at Paul's first encounter with Jesus in Acts 9. As he falls to the ground, as Jesus blinds him and, and calls him away from the life of persecuting the church, you see this, he, it says that Paul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Think about that for a second. Paul as far as we know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, Paul never encountered Jesus. Paul encounters the risen Jesus. Paul was going around and persecuting followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus says, no, every time you're persecuting one of the people who proclaims my name, you're persecuting me. When you're experiencing opposition, I pray you don't, but if you do, 
if we all do, if our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do, every time that someone is persecuted or opposed for the gospel, Jesus is the one being opposed. And he feels that suffering. And of course, during his earthly ministry, he was persecuted. He was mocked. He was betrayed. He was crucified. Can't get much worse than 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 the ultimate punishment. He was killed, except not even the grave could hold him. And so now he walks alongside us. And when we experience that persecution and that opposition and the challenges and stresses of holding on to the gospel, we know that he's right there with us in it. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 1.5. Paul says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Suffering doesn't usually feel like comfort. And yet, when we know that Jesus is with us in it, we know we're not alone. And we know we're right where we're supposed to be, that our citizenship isn't in question because things aren't going well. There are lots of times in life that we wonder about our affiliations. We wonder if we belong someplace. A few things recently reminded me of a time I was wrapping up a ministry at a church, and I knew my time there was coming to an end, and I found my, myself just walking around the building. I, I had a key there for years. I could go wherever I wanted in the building, and, and I often did because I, as a smaller church, everybody needed to do a little bit of everything. And so I, I found myself all over that building. I, I could describe and map out that building with my eyes closed and tell you exactly where things were. And and then suddenly that affiliation was shaken because my time there was coming to an end. I, I, I walked around, I still had that key for just a moment longer, and yet I didn't really quite belong there anymore. Maybe you've had that experience at a job that you've been at or, or some other place that you've been in, and you're giving up that key, you're giving up that that affiliation there, and you don't walk as confidently. I could walk confidently through that building middle of the night with barely any lights on because I knew exactly where I was supposed to be. But that last night in there, I didn't walk that way anymore. Sometimes in life, I think as things go wrong and as we face persecution and opposition and suffering, we don't walk quite as confidently in Christ either because we think, well, do I really belong to him? Is there really such a thing as heavenly citizenship? And Paul says, when you're feeling that way, Jesus isn't taking away that citizenship card. He's not taking away your key. He's not leaving you. He's actually right there with you. And when you think that you're being persecuted, it's Jesus being persecuted. It's the same Jesus who triumphed over death itself, the same Jesus who is the victorious king, and the same Jesus who is going to one day say to all who call on his name, well done, good and faithful servant. So all we need to do is hold on to that citizenship or claim it for the first time if we haven't already. Be a follower of Christ. And then wherever we're placed, in whatever circumstances, whatever trials, whatever championships that we face, to, to stand firm, not fearful of opposition, but rather confident because of it, because Jesus allows us into the suffering of life to represent him, that more might know him, that we might know his comfort in the midst of it. And that then someday we will come into his heavenly presence, our risen king. Would you pray with me, please? Father, sometimes this is really, not sometimes, all the time, really, this is really, really hard to do. 
We don't like suffering. We don't like opposition. We don't like uncertainty. We want you just to make everything smooth and easy. And when we face opposition and, and challenges, we wonder, where are you in them? Here you remind us exactly where you are, right in it with us. And so, Lord, whatever we might face today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, would you remind us of your presence with us? Would you comfort us? Would you strengthen us to have the resolve to do the things that you call us to do? And in that, enable us to be those who represent your kingdom in a worthy manner. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, next week we begin a brand new series, and I hope that this series has been an encouragement to you. If any of it's been an encouragement, please consider sharing it, letting someone know about it. Lots of people, probably everyone we know has faced or is facing dark times, and hearing about the God who is with us in those can be so encouraging. I appreciate you getting the word out, maybe giving us a like or a share right now. And then please do come back next week at 7 p.m. for a brand new series entitled Holy. We're turning to Isaiah chapter 6 and thinking about Isaiah's call in his life. But as we do that, we're also thinking about how God works in general. Who is our God? How does he work in our lives as well? And sometimes this chapter has been misapplied as if it's a general call to all Christians at all time. And yet, what do we see in it? We see our God. We see how he works. And through that, we learn about how he works in our lives too. So I hope that you'll join me next week as we begin Holy. Also, in the meantime, just a little fun thing, something brand new over at Faith Tree starting today, which is biblical. And if you've been playing Wordle like it seems like the whole world is at the moment and you'd like a little bit more word game fun, check out biblical at biblical.com. It's a free game that works just like Wordle, except it uses five-letter words from the English Bible. And, and so it's kind of fun to, to try to figure out what words show up in the Bible. And then once you either successfully guess the word or don't, it will ultimately tell you where that word shows up in scripture. So I hope you'll check that out at biblical.com. Notice that's biblical with an L-E, not a C-A-L. It's B-I-B-L-I-C-L-E.com. And you can check that out every single day. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. If there's any way I can be praying for you during this week, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. I love getting to pray for you. And I always love getting to hear from you. I'll see you again next week as we begin our brand new series, Holy.